everyone. It's Alicia from the No She Didn't podcast. Just wanting to thank our new podcast sponsor, H Estates LLC. H Estates LLC provides exclusive consulting, training, and handling for your canine companions. H Estates has been supplying top care for canines for nearly 10 years. Contact them today for a consultation by email at hopkinsestatesllc at gmail.com or you can check them out on Facebook at H Estates LLC. Thank you again, H Estates LLC, for your continued support. Hi everyone, this is Alicia and Jamie with the No She Didn't podcast. We are so happy that you guys are with us today. Um, We're going to be talking about a case of serial killer Donald Henry Gaskins. Uh, Donald was also known as Pee Wee, the meanest man in America, the redneck Charles Manson. Wait a minute. Did you just say redneck Charles Manson? I I just call him what they call him. Oh, goodness. And he was also known as the hitchhiker killer. Well, Donald was from Prospect, South Carolina, and well, you're actually from Kentucky, so they're not too awfully far apart, so we're often called rednecks ourselves, so I guess that makes sense. And hillbillies. Hillbillies, yes, we gotta add that in there. Um, he was actually a rapist and a cannibal. There are reports that he killed hundreds of men and women, but we can confirm that there were at least eight victims. He committed his crimes during the 1950s and through the 1970s. Eula Parrott Hannah was Donald's mother, and she had a history of multiple bad relationships and several children born during these relationships. Her last-born child, however, Donald, would be her smallest, yet he was also her most volatile child. Donald was notably small compared to others his age, and he would only reach 5 foot 4 inches during his adult life. Eula was not a good mother, and she often did not watch or care for her children. A great example of this would be when Donald was only one year old, he actually drank a bottle of kerosene. This led to Donald having seizures until he was around three years old. Eula's boyfriends would often beat her children, and Eula would go on to marry a man named Hennart Hanna. He would be no different than the other so-called stepfathers in Donald's life, and Hennart would later be accused of being very abusive to Donald and his four siblings. Sadly, being picked on by his stepfather was only the beginning. He would experience bullying from his school classmates because of his size. He was a very little fella, and sadly, he dropped out of school around the age of 11. His crime spree would soon begin. Donald became friends with two boys named Marsh and Danny, and they worked together at a local mechanic shop. They referred to themselves as the Trouble Trio, and the Trouble Trio would pick up hookers, even at their young age, and then they would rob local houses, and they would be responsible for the rapes of young boys in their town. You did say boys. I did. I said boys. They told the boys that they would kill their families if any of them ever told that they had been raped. Okay. It's really important to um, remember from a psychological standpoint, um, he was being bullied, but when he hooked up with these other two boys, they became like the gang and would then pick on not girls, 
but boys. So there's definitely the psychological factor there that he was wanting to pay people back for how he was being treated. So the police actually disbanded the troubled trio after they were caught raping Marsh's young sister. So they had progressed from boys onto girls. Donald had always been called Pee Wee, and it actually wasn't until he appeared in court that he found out his true legal name was Donald. That was the first time in his life he had ever been called Donald. Marsh and Danny actually left town, but nothing stopped Donald from his bad behavior. He continued down the same path that he was already on. So one incident that occurred shortly after this uh, was when he broke into a house and was caught by the 13-year-old girl that lived in the house. She attacked Donald with an axe. During the struggle, Donald took the axe from the girl and struck her with it. She survived her injuries, and Donald was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Donald was sent to a reform school to serve his sentence, and while he was in the reform school, he was, again, sexually abused by the older boys at the reform school. Donald would claim that he was protected by another youth called Boss Boy, and he received his protection by exchanging sex for that protection. Donald Gaskin escaped from the reform school and joined a traveling carnival. During this time, he also married a 13-year-old girl. Shortly thereafter, he voluntarily went back to the reform school to finish his sentence, and he was finally released at the age of 18. Gaskins actually started working at a tobacco plantation, and soon he became involved in a ploy to burn barns to help the owners commit insurance fraud. When his boss's daughter confronted Gaskins, he split the girl's skull with a hammer and was arrested for attempted murder. He received a five-year sentence in prison. While in prison, Gaskins was sexually abused like he had been at the reform school, and this time Gaskins was willing to commit murder to escape abuse. His first known murder victim was Hazel Brazel, one of the most feared men in the prison. Donald sliced his throat after a rape attempt, and after Brazel's death, the other prisoners feared Gaskins. He reportedly became an owner of other prisoners rather than one of the owned. He earned an extra three years in jail for the murder, and he would also spend six months in solitary confinement for the murder. This was a pivotal moment in his life because he would no longer be the victim. He would be the aggressor. In 1955, his wife filed for divorce. Gaskins was furious, so he managed to escape from prison. During his time on the run, Gaskin would go on to marry another woman. That marriage lasted all of two weeks. Then Donald met Betty Gates. Betty asked Donald to go with her to Tennessee to bail her brother out of jail. Donald happily agreed, and off to Tennessee they went. Donald and Betty were staying in a motel room, and when Donald came back from running errands, he was shocked to find Betty's brother had broken out of jail and that he wasn't Betty's brother. He was Betty's husband. The police showed up in the motel, arresting Betty's husband and Donald, and Donald received an extra nine months on his original sentence for aiding in the escape of a prisoner. 
He was eventually paroled in 1961. So Gaskins was released and began working as a driver for a traveling minister. For a while, this managed to keep him out of jail, but it didn't stop him from breaking into homes. He could avoid arrest by traveling from town to town with the minister, and during this time, he also raped a 12-year-old girl. He escaped from the police in a stolen vehicle and was on the run to North Carolina. In North Carolina, Gaskins married a 17-year-old. Not long after they were married, she reported him to the police for rape. So he was sent back to prison once more and paroled after six years. In 1968, he was paroled and vowed never to return to that area again. After his release, Gaskins developed what would become known as his signature crime. He picked up a young female hitchhiker in North Carolina who he propositioned for sex. When she told him no... Gaskins decided he would take what he wanted. He beat her until she lost consciousness, then raped and sodomized her. He tied weights to her unconscious body and dropped her in a swamp to die. According to Gaskins himself, this first murder of a standard, you know, person, someone not in prison, temporarily satisfied the violent urges that he had been feeling his entire life. He would torture his chosen victims, sometimes even for days, and mutilate their bodies. In some cases, in some instances, Gaskin even cannibalized those he tortured while they were still alive. He would even make these victims eat parts of their own flesh before he killed them. Gaskins generally chose his victims by driving along the highway, asking if solo travelers needed rides somewhere. He preferred female victims, but would kidnap males if he had to, but his murders were not restricted to solely strangers. In 1970, he murdered his 15-year-old niece, Janice Kirby, and her friend after telling them he would drive them home from a bar. Instead, he drove them to a vacant house where he raped, beat, and drowned them. Soon after, it is believed that he killed 20-year-old Martha Dix, who had a crush on him and often hung out with him while he worked at a car repair shop. The young woman was last seen at a nightclub with a man who may have been Gaskins. Her body, though, was never found. In 1973, Gaskins purchased an old hearse, telling people at his favorite bar that he needed the vehicle to haul all the people he killed to his private cemetery. This was in Prospect, South Carolina, where he lived with his wife and child. Although Gaskins had a reputation for being explosive, some people in the town just thought he was mentally disturbed. Most tried to avoid even being around him, but some people actually liked him and considered him as their friend. One of the people who considered Gaskins to be a friend was Doreen Dempsey, and she was a mother of a two-year-old baby girl, and she was also eight months pregnant with her second child. She was leaving town and decided to get a ride to the bus station from her old friend. Gaskins took her to a wooded area where he raped and killed her, and then he raped, sodomized, and killed her baby, the two-year-old. He buried the two together. By 1975, he had found 80 boys and girls along the highways in North Carolina and killed them. He considered these highway murders as weekend recreation, 
and thought killing his personal acquaintances were serious murders. Gaskin's crimes were starting to catch up with him, and his days of freedom were becoming numbered. The fact that he didn't have any accomplices had helped him elude the police for years. So when Gaskins asked another ex-con named Walter Neely to help him to repaint a victim's car, he thought he was simply finding another way to make a living from his dastardly ways. Instead, he was setting himself on a path towards justice. Gaskins was 42 years old in 1975 and had been killing steadily for the past six years. Up until then, he had worked alone, and that had helped him avoid being caught. However, after he murdered three people when their van broke down on the highway, he needed some help. He called up ex-con Walter Neely to drive the victim's van to his garage so he could repaint it and sell it. Well, Gaskins was also a hired hitman. That same year, Suzanne Kipper paid him $1,500 to kill her ex-boyfriend, Silas Yates. John Powell and John Owens handled the communication between Gaskins and Kipper concerning the arrangement of the murder. On February 12, 1975, Diane Neely lured him out of the house by claiming to have car trouble. Gaskins then kidnapped and murdered Yates while Powell and Owens watched. All three helped to bury the man. Diane Neely and her boyfriend decided to blackmail Gaskins. They asked for $5,000 in hush money. Gaskins quickly got rid of them after he arranged a meeting for the payoff. Around the same time, Gaskins had tortured and killed other people he knew, such as Kim Gelkins, a 13-year-old who rejected him, and two locals robbed Gaskins' repair shop without knowing about his bad side, and he eventually killed and buried these two with the other locals in his private cemetery. So when he said he was burying people in his private cemetery, he, he was not kidding. Yeah, he was not joking about that. Gotcha. So once again, he called on Walter Neely to help him bury the two bodies, and while there, Gaskins even showed Neely where he had buried other locals. After the... De- Disappearance of Kim Gelkins, the authorities began to become suspicious of Gaskins. After searching his apartment, they found clothing that had been worn by Gelkins. Gaskin was indicted for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Neely, though, cracked under pressure while waiting for trial and showed the police Gaskins' private cemetery. In the cemetery, they found the bodies of the following. Cellars. Judy, Howard, Diane Neely, Johnny Knight, Dennis Bellamy, Doreen Dempsey, and her child. On April 27, 1976, Gaskins and Walter Neely were charged with eight counts of murder. On May 24th of 1976, a jury convicted Gaskins of the murder of Dennis Bellamy, and he was sentenced to death. In an attempt... To avoid additional death sentences, he later confessed to seven more murders. But while he was confessing, he was also plotting to have the daughter of the man who sent him to death row killed. Wow. In 1976, November, the Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional, as we've heard of in several of the cases that we've done. So his death sentence was converted to life with seven consecutive life sentences. In 1978 the death penalty was restored. Now, this didn't mean anything to Gaskins until he was caught and found guilty for being paid to murder fellow prisoner Rudolph Tyner. 
this conviction caused him to receive a death sentence. In 1982, Gaskins killed fellow prisoner Rudolf Tyner by blowing him up. Tyner was in prison for killing two people, an elderly man and woman, and a son of the victims, frustrated that Tyner would remain on death row possibly for years, paid Gaskins to expedite Tyner's death sentence. Gaskins constructed a bomb and snuck it through Tyner's cell. After Gaskins was convicted, he was sentenced to death for a second and final time. Wow, he is really a a rough character, isn't he? Um, He began confessing um, to other murders to avoid the electric chair. If those convictions or confessions were true, then he would be the worst killer in South Carolina's history. He actually admitted to the murder of Peggy Catino. She was a 13-year-old child of a prominent South Carolina family, but prosecutors had already charged and sentenced William Pierce to life in prison for the murder. Gaskin's confession was rejected. They said that they thought that he confessed to that to get um, notoriety in the community, you know, to have the news press, you know, handle and follow his case. So Gaskin spent his final months telling writer Wilton Earl stories about his life, which were eventually turned into a memoir called Final Truth. In the memoir, he alleges that he killed dozens more, but none of the claims could be substantiated. In his taped memoirs for the book Final Truth by Wilton Earl, Gaskin said, I have walked the same path as God. By taking lives and making others afraid, I became God's equal. Through killing others, I became my own master. Through my own power, I come to my own redemption. So another aspect that he has is the God complex. Obviously, that is a pretty heavy statement. I would never say anything like that just for fear of God to smash my little head. Absolutely. Well, before he was electrocuted, Gaskins cut his wrist with razor blades that he had previously swallowed. Uh Yes, you heard that correctly. He had swallowed the blade a week earlier and then coughed it up. I can't imagine that process. Like... How demented do you have to be to swallow a razor blade and then cough it back up? I don't know. So it took 20 stitches to save him for the electric chair. Now, some believe that this was an attempt to derail the day of his execution, while others thought that he was trying to end his own life in his own terms. The last words he spoke were, I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. We may never know the true extent of Donald Henry Pee Wee Gaskins, the hitchhiker killer, but his gruesome murders mark him as one of history's most dangerous serial killers. And as you can tell, this case is um, a lot further involved psychologically than our other cases have been because we um, have the God complex for one. Um, We have that he was someone who was abused and mistreated, Um, He went on to rape boys and girls, so he didn't have a set victimology. So he was a a type of killer that just wanted to eradicate as many people as he possibly could. Like, if you got in his way at all, he didn't have any opposition to just killing you. You know, um, anyone that would rape and sodomize and murder a two-year-old girl... You know, you um, 
you definitely have some serious issues that I don't even know if um, there could have been any conditioning to make him any different than what he already was. No, so. I, I think once you're that far gone, you're that far gone. Absolutely. Well, again, we want to thank you guys for your continued support of our podcast. We do have a special favor to ask, please. Um, If you would, take some time out of your busy day to just give us a rating on the app that you listen to your podcast on. We would really appreciate it. We only have like three reviews, and I think two of them came from our family members. So also, um, if you don't mind, recommend us to your friends and family. If you like the podcast, just let us know because we're kind of not knowing if if people are enjoying this or not because we don't have um, hardly any ratings. And (laughs) so we want to definitely build our client base and make you guys happy and excited to look forward to our podcast we know you're listening we just want to know why you're listening if you (laughs) like what you're listening to you know just give us some feedback yeah anything that you think we could improve on or do differently or anything you'd like for us to include just let us know we are happy to do that and we truly love doing these episodes for you because no she didn't but but now now she she does. does